Welcome back, everybody, to the Luke Beasley Show. It's so great to be with you on this Monday, another week of American politics ahead of us, and I hope you're doing just splendid as we dive into it. Let's do it. Democratic Governor of California, Gavin Newsom, has been providing us a series of really good moments and interviews and conversations where he actually calls out properly, accurately, but aggressively the Republican Party for what it's become, the leaders that represent the party and its ideology, and does so in a way that, again, steps up to the level of aggression and um, just not holding back energy that we should get. I wish that we got from more Democratic politicians. So often, obviously, as we talk about constantly, they are far better than Republicans on policy. But politics isn't just about the policy. You also have to message and make sure people know about your policy and know about how it is better and the outcomes are better and all that type of stuff. And time and time again, Democrats fail on that. And it's really aggravating to see Gavin Newsom um, is actually doing what I wish that we could see more Democrats do on messaging. And I have another example of that for you here. The first clip we'll look at from this MSNBC interview with Jen Psaki that took place over the weekend is um, after the subject of Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, gets brought up. Gavin Newsom makes a series of really good points. Take a look. Texas, Governor Abbott, you've had some words about him. Is that on, is that on your agenda? Moving I don't forward? know. Private rights of bounty and criminalizing doctors uh, and all in the name of freedom. One of the worst crime and murder rates in America and one of the worst mental health uh, records. So I am all about accuracy. So before we uh, have the clip play further, he said Texas, something about Texas and highest crime rate, murder rate. That's not the case. I don't know if he was trying to say that California is lower, so Texas has a higher uh, homicide rate, which is true than California, but um, Texas is not ranked at the top of the list of high homicide rates. Continuing. Records of any governor in America. I'm not so convinced about the merits of his leadership, but again, I, I mean, I'm sitting here, I'm just bewildered. How can the Democratic Party, eight of the top 10 murder states or Republican states, seven of the top 10 dependent states, God forbid, dependent states are red states. The life expectancy. And this is exactly right. Expectancy in the South, and they're not expanding Medicaid and prenatal care and providing child care is jaw dropping. How they all continue to get reelected is beyond me. Infant mortality. I mean, you care about life and you look at life expectancy you care about life and you're getting kids that are gunned down by weapons of war spare me all in the name of freedom as you're banning books so again with all due respect we should not be on the defensive as a, a democratic party the republican party should be on their heels not us yes 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 on their heels good way to describe what we've dealt with with the Democratic Party for a long time. It does seem, even though, as he's talking about, the uh, result of Democratic governance versus Republican governance state by state is so clear. Not that all conditions or even a majority of conditions in a particular state are because of the political reality. That's not the case. There are a bunch of very complex factors as to why a state has the reality that it does. But if you're looking at outcomes as Republicans dishonestly sometimes try to do with Democratic areas and say, clearly the policies aren't working, aren't making it better um, in the ways that better policies could, then absolutely it's accurate to bring up some of these uh, rankings and statistics. And that's what he did there. One of them he cited was eight out of 10 um, of the highest states for homicide rates. 
red states. And another that is under discussed, but so important is poverty. Look at this list um, that I have on screen from Forbes that ranks the top 10 highest states for poverty. Mississippi, Louisiana, New Mexico, and that's the only blue state. And then West Virginia, Kentucky, Arkansas, Alabama, Oklahoma, Tennessee, South Carolina. Nine out of 10 of the highest poverty states, looking at the top 10, are red. So clearly this narrative of the Democrats, if they're running the government, it's going to go to hell and everything's going to be horrible. And Republican governance is really how you allow an area to prosper. It's not the case, plus a bunch of very complex factors as to why certain realities are the way that they are on the ground in states. So important for Gavin Newsom to call out the facts on that. And he goes back to some of these statistics. And we've talked about the study a lot um, on the show of homicide in 2020 being 40 percent homicide rates in 2020 being 40% higher in states that voted for Trump versus those that voted for Biden sort of your typical red states versus typical blue states um and that was the situation there and then he brought up top 10 uh homicide rates and all of that next clip here um oh and I, I meant to say as well that the fact that those are the facts and number one a bunch of people don't know that and number two Democrats don't seem to be able to effectively message about that is wild uh, next clip entertainment wing particularly of the republican party the surround sound on fox with these and this is about fox news of course as you can hear entertainment wing particularly of the republican party the surround sound on fox with these you know i don't even like saying his name tucker carlson mm -hmm. or that other i don't even know the guy from the, i mean it's just like they're all the same and one american news and newsmax and, and what they're doing to divide this country to you know where illusion rules not facts do Gosh. you occasionally turn on fox prime no. time and see what happens no. just to see not occasionally um every night every night and do you think democrats should still be appearing on fox or should they not be appearing on fox? uh it contributes to the mental health crisis in the state so on the basis of one's own personal <laughs> conditions i would not recommend it my staff is quite literally tried to have interventions with me about it. They say I'm too obsessed with it, but I need to understand it. You wanna know what the other side thinks? I don't wanna know what they think. I wanna see the patterns and what you see are patterns that emerge. So, so he says that Fox News contributes to the mental health crisis in the state. Uh, a lot of people that caught their eye. I think it's correct to point out that it is not good for the individuals, much less the country as a whole, watching Fox News. That's just not good for your well-being. It's not good for, obviously, your understanding of the world being accurate or aligned with the facts. Um, but just as an individual human, it's detrimental to your own um, journey, whether it be mental health or just general, even if it's not a mental health, um, a significant issue that you're dealing with, just your mental well-being. Um, and again, your perception of the world gets so out of whack when you watch Fox News. And then it's really sad. And I have people in my life who um, this applies to when they watch Fox News for all these years and all these hours. Then their own stress seems to just be so high and um, so detrimental. And it's unnecessary, not because there aren't real things in the world to stress about, there are, but because the stories they're being told about what they should stress about and the conspiracies and the fear mongering is often so manufactured. And so it's the stress for no point other than to be um, divided, other than to improve ratings for the network 
and all of that. And that's really, really sad and good for Gavin Newsom uh, for calling that out. This is super interesting. Uh, President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine got asked about Trump's <laughs> bogus promise that if he were to become president, God forbid again, he would uh, end Russia's invasion of Ukraine in 24 hours. Every time he's pressed for specifics, he doesn't really say anything. He just repeats, I'll end it in 24 hours. Or he goes, oh, I would bring one person or I would call one person and say something and then talk to the other person and say something else and they're going to get some stuff and and then it's going to it's going to be good. So I think most reasonable people see that and go, yeah, okay, sure, you'll end the war in 24 hours. Um, except there is one way that Zelensky will, will kind of indicate, um, and then we'll talk about it further, that Trump could indeed end it in 24 hours, just like how Biden could have ended in 24 hours. That would be a horrible way to do so. Um, and we'll dive into that more after Zelensky. But first, here's a reminder of Trump's promise here during the CNN town hall. I want everybody to stop dying. They're dying, Russians and Ukrainians. I want them to stop dying. And I'll have that done. I'll have that done in 24 hours. I'll have it done. You need the power of the presidency to do it. But you but won't say that you want Ukraine to win. You, you know what I'll you say? In, I'll say this. Office. I want Europe to put up more money because there is. Okay. So I'll have it done in 24 hours. And he's repeated that promise many, many times. And then here's Volodymyr Zelensky um, answering a question about this. Donald Trump says he would end the war in 24 hours if he was elected president. It seems to me that the sole desire to bring the war to an end is beautiful, but this desire should be based on some real-life experience. Well, it looks as if Donald Trump had already these 24 hours once in his time. We were at war, not a full-scale war, but we were at war, and as I assume, he had that time at his disposal but he must have had some other priorities. If we are talking about ending the war at the cost of Ukraine, in other words, to make us give up our territories, well, I think in this way Biden could have brought it to an end even in five minutes, but we would not agree. Mm. So he's exactly right. Everyone wants to see the war, or I should say everyone reasonable, um, wants to see the war come to an end but the way that that happens is what we're talking about here um that's where differences in opinion come into place and to those saying um or for those saying that the way we should end this is just handing over everything that putin wants to putin that is something i absolutely cannot align myself with and do not think is reasonable. And Zelensky saying a similar thing there. Yeah, sure, we could bring this to an end by giving Putin everything that he could ever hope for um, or giving him a whole lot that he shouldn't get in terms of territory and allow him to be successful in an endeavor uh, in acquiring that territory. Or we could keep fighting and attempt to prevent that from happening. And um, I've said it so many times, but the way that Russia's invasion of Ukraine could stop today is if Russia stopped invading Ukraine. And it doesn't make any sense when people pretend that by the United States hypothetically not supporting Ukraine, that would bring peace. Why would Russia all of a sudden go, oh, y'all are making it easier for us to be more successful because you're not providing support to them. We're going to 
no longer invade. That doesn't make any sense. So the war would continue if the United States stopped supporting Ukraine, which is often the kind of MAGA right-wing solution here is just to stop supporting them financially and in military aid and all of that. Um, and that would not change the reality that the war is going on, but it would change Ukraine's ability to defend themselves and their ability to fend off Russia's invasion and be as effective in that effort as they've been. It's been stunning in part because of the United States' support. Um, and so the other really aggravating thing about Trump repeating this over and over, as it would be for anyone bringing forward this type of response to a complex subject such as uh, this one, is it doesn't actually give voters, not that we need any more <laughs> information on why Trump shouldn't be president, but in a more reasonable world, it doesn't give voters a chance to actually compare and contrast viewpoints on a particular issue. And the reason is because Trump doesn't know what the heck he would actually do. So he says, I'll end in 24 hours, giving no one any more information on what he would actually do as president. Um, and the conversation we should be having is what type of support, how much, and there are good faith discussions to be had within that. Um, but we won't get to that at all because Trump's just saying, well, I would end it. So we don't have to talk about support, not support, because I would just end it. Boom. And as I've said in the past, you could apply that to anything, any subject, all the time, ever. And it would make no sense. Um, what are you going to do about healthcare policy? Well, I would, I would end any problems with disease or end any problems with um, our healthcare system. Oh, yeah, any high prices, I would just end that. Yes, but how? What policy are you putting forward? No, I would just, I would solve it. Don't worry. The how is often the most important part of those questions and Trump is not providing that whatsoever. Jim Acosta brought on to uh, his show on CNN an individual by the name of Bob Vander Platz, who's a pro-life um, guy and he's the CEO of an organization called The Family Leader. And this exchange was interesting to me because <laughs> so in this exchange, Bob Platz is advocating on behalf of America being a pro-life nation or something like that. And Jim Acosta has to correct him that it's not the case that you'll hear him make the claim that there are more pro-life Americans now than ever. That's just not accurate based on polling. Um, but he asserts it anyways. And this is a telling little moment of kind of what a lot of people who are trying to convince Americans um, to be pro-life or to support pro-life politicians, what they're left to doing, which here it's him lying or misstating information about public opinion on the issue. And then we'll talk about the reality when it comes to Americans' views on abortion rights. Take a look at this. I think Americans are, in, are rally around. They're, they're a more pro-life America today than ever. I think politically this is going to be on the, our right side as well. But what you said is not true, correct? Uh, that uh, America is becoming... <laughs> Sorry. I didn't notice that earlier when I watched this. But what you said was not true, correct? <laughs> As if his tone conveys a sense of agreement. We're on the same page that you were just wrong there, right? Um, I have to do that a lot with Trump supporters where to kind of keep the conversation moving, you don't go, you're wrong, but you do say the words. Okay, so that's incorrect, but continue. <laughs> um, I get what you're saying and it's correct from the standpoint of wrong, but just move forward more pro-life. That's just not the case. Uh, if you look at the latest polling, well, I believe it. it shows overwhelmingly you Americans disagree with the overturning of Roe versus Wade. 
where Americans really disagree is the extreme position of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and Governor Newsom of abortion on demand up till the time of birth and the government subsidizes and pays it pays for it. I believe what we want to do is have a champion for the culture of the sanctity. Jim Acosta is going to jump in to fact check that too. The talking point said so many times, perpetuated so many times, it's just not accurate. Democratic politicians generally stick to the Roe v. Wade framework that said states couldn't really restrict uh, first trimester, could start introducing some regulations, second trimester, um, and then third trimester could ban other than life of the mother. Um, and then even there's not, they pretend there's this movement for, what do they say? Um, yeah, I think he worded abortions on demand up until the moment of, of birth. The reason why abortions happen at the end of a pregnancy later on in a pregnancy is because of medically necessary reasons exclusively, exclusively. You can talk to evaluate, analyze the the uh, testimony of all individuals involved in that industry and uh, doctors who deal with this, there aren't people coming in saying, all right, everything's good. I'm healthy. The fetus is healthy. Ninth month. Never mind. <laughs> Whatever. doesn't happen. Only when fetus becomes no longer viable, The um, there's a health complication, the mother's life is at stake, things like that. And because of how complex those realities are, do the doctors need to have some flexibility in making these tough decisions to protect the life of the mother. Um, and when bans get put in place with no consideration of those complex realities, that's when you have really scary situations that we're experiencing in some states now. But the on-demand until the end of the pregnancy is just a complete bogus talking point. Human life. And someone can point out the differences in the experience. Bob, you and I have had lots of conversation over the year. Democrats are not in favor of abortion right up until birth. That's that's not true. Someone's going to have to tell Governor Newsom that, and I believe even President Biden that as well. They are not willing to say when they he, would stop. He has said that his position is Roe versus Wade. But President Biden has said his position is Roe versus Wade, which is a... So I think what you're going to see, I was a very pro-life state. We passed a heartbeat. And then he just backs off of it. Bill, right now they're going to call a special session on Tuesday. They're going to repass a heartbeat bill. South Carolina's passed a heartbeat bill. Florida's passed a heartbeat bill. So, moral of the story from that clip, and then we'll talk about the uh, truth on this issue, is Bob Vanderplatz. Very, very correct from the standpoint of incorrect. Um, absolutely. So, the New York Times had an interesting piece recently on this subject. This article is titled, How a Year Without Roe Shifted American Views on Abortion. For decades, Americans had settled around an uneasy truce on abortion. It goes on to kind of lay the groundwork for this article. But for the sake of time, we will skip forward. Pollsters say the biggest change was in political action around abortion, not necessarily in people's core views. Polls regarding whether abortion should be legal or illegal in most or all cases along the most widely used metric have remained relatively stable, with the percentage of voters saying abortion should be legal in all or most cases slowly ticking up over the past five years to somewhere between 60% and 70%. Between 60% and 70% the New York Times analyzed a large swath of polling to get that uh, figure that is a clear majority and generally most americans believe abortion should be limited especially in the second and third trimesters not unlike the framework established by roe 
but there were sudden and significant jumps in support for legalized abortion post-Dobbs among some groups, including Republican men and black Protestants. Polling by the Public uh, Religion Research Institute found that the percentage of Hispanic Catholics saying abortion should be legal in all cases doubled between March and December of last year from 16% to 31%, and the share of voters saying abortion should be illegal in all cases dropped significantly in several polls, and it goes through more specifics. Super interesting, but the pro-life movement is while they're getting wins in policy because of Republicans still being in power and pushing through these bans, the views are going against in this country the pro-life stance, the hardcore pro-life stance. And that is notable. And we're going to see that, I think, playing a huge role in the 2024 election and really making an impact um, electorally. And hopefully then we'll see policy follow that uh, shortly after to protect the rights of women when it comes to abortion. Republican presidential candidate and governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, was once again confronted about his campaign's lack of success. And these segments, I did a segment at the end of last week, sort of similar from a different interview. Um, not the most important necessarily, but just really funny to me. They just tickle me where he gets so awkward when he gets confronted about his poll numbers, because obviously he was promoted and the polls show that he was the only person who had a chance of going up against Trump in the Republican primary or a good chance um, at different points in time. But then he actually got into the race. It's been very unexciting and he hasn't been successful thus, uh, thus far boosting his poll numbers. Now I'll say again, I will always say no matter who prevails, Trump or DeSantis, disaster, total disaster. And no matter what, we want the Democrat to um, defeat the Republican in this upcoming 2024 presidential election. But watching DeSantis fail in this way is definitely all right um, with me. Fun to watch. So this was on Maria Bartiromo's show. And it's notable just him having to answer for this, but also how strange, awkward, and uncharismatic he got. And he started doing this weird, like, middle schooler giggle. <laughs> As if he wants so bad to project confidence and a lack of concern about his poll numbers, but he's really just um, uptight. Take a look. You've done a great job pushing back against woke. We know that, but I'm wondering what's going. <laughs> Sorry, pause already. What are we doing? What are we doing? We could have uh, real policy discussions or we could have this. You've done a great job pushing back against woke. We know that, but I'm wondering what's going. Whatever that means. Going on with your campaign, there was a lot of optimism about you running for president earlier in the year. But here's this weekend's headline from the Politico playbook: Failure to launch Florida Governor Ron DeSantis's campaign <laughs> to topple Donald Trump has stalled. Now <laughs> this is just a good old time. We're having a blast, Maria. <laughs> We are way behind, says a top DeSantis PAC official, sounding the alarm. What happened? <laughs> um, Maria, Ooh. these are... Ron, that's not it. You got to go back to the politician camp and learn how to do a, a better fake laugh than that. <laughs> um, Maria... One more time. What happened? Oh, um, Maria, these are narratives. The media does not want me to be the nominee. I think that's very, very clear. Why? Because they know I'll beat Biden. 
But even more importantly, they know I will actually deliver on all these things. We will stop the invasion at the border. We'll take on the drug cartels. We'll curtail the administrative state. We'll get spending under control. We'll do all the things that they don't want uh, to see done. And so they're going to continue doing uh, the type of narrative. I can tell you, uh, we understand this is a state-by-state -state process. It's true you can change poll numbers, but what does that mean? that this is the media narrative. The media is just, regardless of their own views about Ron DeSantis, I'm in the media and I very much don't like Ron DeSantis, but separate from the views from the individual pundits or individual media outlets about Ron DeSantis, there's just also reporting going on about the lack of success of his campaign when it comes to shifting poll numbers. It's true you can have huge shifts, but we haven't seen really any for Ron DeSantis in a good direction since he announced um, any notable shift. And so that's what's being looked at going, hmm, usually a really exciting part of the campaign when you get going and you start getting the headlines and now people are considering you as a national candidate is when you can really make some big strides and DeSantis is not doing that. And I'm really excited that we are going to get an opportunity to see just almost a full anti-woke campaign fail. Does that make sense? Because we get a lot of campaigns that have the oh i'm going to fight back against radical as trump says marxist communist fascist woke people um that's constantly a thread right now in this current moment when republican candidates are speaking and their uh kind of campaign platforms but i don't think anyone else competes with desantis for how obsessed he is how obsessed he is with fighting back against this nebulous term from the perspective of the right wingers being wokeness and um your whole mission being these culture war issues um and then his targeting of communities because of this motivation to fight back against woke and demonizing lgbtq people on those grounds and and all of that watching that not be successful is going to be really satisfying because it shouldn't be you should even though the more successful campaign in the republican primary is going to be trump's and that's going to be horrible too. But I wish we could just move in the direction of actual, real, meaningful policy discussions. And DeSantis failing is just one step, sort of, in that direction, not because of Trump, but because of him not striving with this full culture war type uh, campaign. Because these types of campaigns are so void of actual policy that there's no way it can be a meaningful discussion that benefits the voters and um, ultimately once one of the people wins and they have to follow through on these policies benefits the constituents in meaningful ways. It, it won't happen with a DeSantis-like campaign or a Trump-like campaign. Um, and so hopefully as more and more of these fail, maybe more politicians will stop trying to go in this direction. But on polling quickly from DeSantis, the study from the Florida Atlantic University Main Street, uh, Main Street Polcom Lab, this is from Mediate reporting on a poll from Florida, uh, DeSantis' home state, said that DeSantis is polling at 30.2% from Floridians and Trump is up at 50.3%. Uh, then when you strip out all the other candidates and just leave DeSantis and Trump in the race, you have 37, DeSantis and 54, Trump still trump with a very good lead there and that is in florida where DeSantis should have the best poll numbers if you look nationally trump is up with all the candidates in the field at 52 percent DeSantis down um let's see here at 23.3 percent 
So that is a massive gap. And as I've talked about in this primary, it's harder to imagine someone just really shaking things up because of how ingrained the individual into the minds of uh, uh, the Republican base Trump is. Him as an individual, who he is, what he stands for, his ideology is so known already. And so a lot of views are already decided. And then you have some people who can shift, but is that even enough to swing the primary? I don't think so at this point, especially because DeSantis is not impressing many people at all. So we're going to have most likely, most most likely Trump as the nominee. Very dangerous, but hopefully um, Biden will be able to defeat him. We've talked a little bit about Mark Levin and the aftermath of both Trump indictments because he'll go on these big rants and he'll melt down irrationally about Trump being this big victim and everything's political persecution and this, that, and the other thing. I have another example of that for you, but it's kind of emblematic of the current shift I'm seeing in some right-wing media as to where they want to focus when talking about the Trump, uh, especially the second federal indictment. Instead of trying to argue that the evidence is not there for the crimes that Trump committed or seems to have committed, um, or the audio recording isn't damning, is not an argument I hear people make um, as often right now. It has kind of shifted to, let's try to obsess over leaking. Leaking is the real problem. Mark Levin's doing a whole segment about how, no, 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 don't focus on the massive stack of evidence that um, seems pretty clearly present when it comes to the federal indictment against Trump. Ignore that and think about, hmm, why are we learning about some of this stuff? The leaking, that's the real problem. And what's interesting is even his argument there, even though if everything he said was accurate, still wouldn't debunk the facts that are being leaked, right? Um, and you're not addressing those. But also his understanding of how things get leaked seems a little flawed. Take a look at this. This department, this department is destroying America. It's destroying the 2024 election. It's violating every norm, every tradition, everything it inherited to ensure that that department could be trustworthy and could be reliable. But it has criminalized politics. And I want to say this, if we don't break the back of the Department of Justice, and I will explain what I mean in a moment, it will destroy this country. And we won't. Trump being held accountable or take away the name, a guy being held accountable for willful retention of national defense information after multiple requests from demands from the federal government to get this information back after conspiring with staffers to move around the documents to keep it out of the hands of federal authorities after allegedly lying to federal authorities um and all of these different things obstructing this investigation someone doing all of that being held accountable by our department of justice and our legal system that would destroy america no that would be what republicans said they cared so much about for so long but now they've completely uh, given up on which is law and order that's what that is that's the rule of law now just because the name happens to be trump is why mark levin's saying this won't be able to claw our way back this is not hyperbole i'm not trying to be provocative i don't need to be now here let's start by the way it is exactly those things cnn Exclusive special counsel prosecutors questioned witnesses about chaotic Oval Office meeting after Trump lost the 2020 election. 
Multiple sources told CNN, stick with me, CNN, former Trump campaign official cooperating with special counsel in 2020 election interference probe. Sources familiar with the matter told CNN, CNN, exclusive Rudy Giuliani. Then he goes on to do that over and over and over. Multiple sources told the Washington Post, New York Times, and on and on and on. So what is he saying? He's saying, see all of these, what we call, what, and by we, I'm talking from his perspective, what right-wingers call um, liberal media. Sources are telling them things, and that's where this reporting is coming from. So it must be, his point is, the Department of Justice. They're illegally leaking to hurt Trump even more. Um, is that possible? Of course it's possible things can leak out of um, law enforcement agencies. Absolutely, the DOJ could totally leak. Um, but it is very likely these leaks are coming from the people being talked to. So in the case of this Oval Office meeting that reporting was coming out about and how federal investigators were asking individuals about what went on in the room, the people in the room getting asked these questions by federal authorities could be the ones going to CNN and saying, hey, the FBI came to me. Here's uh, how that went. And that's what we just got with Rusty uh, Bowers, the former Speaker of the House of Arizona, where he went on CNN Live and got asked about um, the federal investigation. Has the FBI spoken to you? And he confirmed live on air was when this information was initially known um, that he had been spoken to by the federal investigators as a part of Jack Smith's federal investigation and Trump's attempt to overturn the 2020 election. So right there is an example of the guy who got talked to gave this information to CNN. Um, but he's saying the only way they can get this information is if it's Jack Smith himself leaking it. Do they help Donald Trump? Do they help a single witness? It's the federal government. It is the Biden Department of Justice. It is the Democrat Party's Department of Justice that's interfering in the election and trying to do many other things. Look, I asked my... By the way, um, I'm just seeing this. Mark Levin, he wrote a book, and on his, for our podcast listeners, picture sitting next to him kind of displayed is this book he wrote, and it's titled The Democrat Party Hates America. They still don't know, do they? It's fine if you don't or if you misuse it, but to put on a book, the Democratic Party is the proper word. The Democrat, there's no Democrat Party. You have Democrats who are members of the Democratic Party, but they always say it wrong, which again, I get the mistake. It's really, really tiny. But to put on a book incorrectly is very strange. My brothers and sisters over at Landmark Legal Foundation, of which I am chairman, I said, go back about six months and pull up all the leaks from the New York Times and Washington Post and CNN involving Donald Trump. Here it is. Look at this. You see this? These are the leaks from grand juries. It also sounds like Trump's inner circle is leaky as heck. <laughs> and we saw that during the Trump administration. So maybe some of this information is coming from Trump's inner circle, coming from those who are being investigated um, and those who have been talked to, those who have been subpoenaed, all that. And then maybe, I'm not even denying the possibility of someone within the broader staff or whatever, but it's hilarious when it comes to the federal investigation, but it's hilarious that Mark Levin just asserts without even addressing the alternative possibilities that this is all the DOJ leaking. To witnesses, to Mar-a-Lago, to the nature of the classified documents, leak after leak after leak, and I limited it to CNN, the New York Times, and the Washington Post. Look at this. What are they doing? 
What are they? Oh, don't jerk around the Department of Justice, the former attorney general says. Who's jerking who around here? Is this how you run a case? Mm. Is this how you have a judiciary in the country that sits there and rubber stamps every damn thing? Look at this. This isn't intended to be a real case. Here's the ABA rules. Spe and then he outlines how you're not supposed to leak as a prosecutor. Um, obviously, and then we'll continue forward. The prosecutor hasn't come out and said, this would be Jack Smith. Look, we see there's all these leaks. I'm taking it upon myself to do an investigation. Not a single judge that's been involved in these cases on their own. And they have the power to do it and say, wait a minute, you can't do this to a defendant or a would-be defendant. You can't do this because you violate their Fifth and Sixth Amendment rights. Mark, we got to just... Take a breath. Let's just do it together. That felt actually kind of felt good. Um, yeah. So who knows where the leaks are coming from? Very likely, based on the timing of some of them, it is coming from Trump's inner orbit or on other stuff. The um, subjects of some of these things, um, or a possibility that's coming from within the DOJ, some of the stuff, but uh, you would have to provide more evidence to be this sure of it, Mark Levin. And I guess he's going to investigate it to figure this out. Um, but the underlying point here is while there's a conversation that could be had, where's information coming from? That's kind of interesting. And of course, you don't want prosecutors leaking information. That makes total sense. But uh, separate from the conversation about that, I want to know why you will give time to this and no time walking through. Read to your audience the indictment, as I did during a rally to a Trump supporter. I read it off my phone, part of it. Um, read the indictment and try to explain why these things either didn't happen or they don't matter or they don't violate the law or whatever. Play the audio recording. Explain why it doesn't actually show what it shows. That's what I'm interested in because that is going to decide whether or not Trump is held legally accountable i want to talk about this so quickly because it's gonna make me mad the more we talk about it so we're gonna fly through this but it's too absurd not to talk about george santos the serial liar the republican congressman compared himself to someone because he has um a, an issue he is the center of the entire universe in his mind he is the most self-centered person you could imagine a narcissist again a serial liar and um he has a victimhood complex and he feels like he is sort of like Rosa Parks or at least fits into a comparison with her because he's also being told to sit in the back and he's not going to do it. Yes, you heard me right. I'm not going to just I, yeah. watch. They come for me, I go right back for them because I think for far too long they've gotten away with getting along to get along. So, no. Isn't it going along to get along? It's not going to stay that way anymore. I'm going to call them out. You want to call me a liar? I'll call you a sellout. I mean, Mitt Romney, the man goes to the State of the Union of the United States wearing a Ukraine lapel pin, tells me, a Latino gay man, that I shouldn't sit in the front, that I should be in the back. Well, guess what? Rosa Parks didn't sit in the back, and neither am I going to sit in the back. That's just the reality of how it works. Mitt Romney lives in a very different world, and he, he needs to buckle up because it's going to be a bumpy ride for him. So if you don't know what he's referring to, during the State of the Union, George Santos was kind of front and center, and uh, Mitt Romney had an exchange with him. And I think Mitt Romney was kind of annoyed that sort of what a lot of people have pointed out, George Santos is now just trying to become a normal congressman. He's just existing there, 
in his position of power after lying his way to get there and acting like he's completely respectable and legitimate and all that type of stuff. Um, and Mitt Romney was bothered by that and they had a testy exchange. And George Santos is saying, yeah, you know how that is like being Rosa Parks being told to sit in the back of a bus based on her race? And he's not going to sit in the back. He's not going to do it because he's brave. He does think he's the victim all the time. It's so aggravating. I've seen interviews, especially after the first wave of him being exposed, where he was a little bit more apologetic. Since then, he's like, guys, what do you, I mean, the media is just trying to create this narrative about me and it's so false. And um, yeah, I said some things that maybe weren't super accurate. I embellished my resume, but now this is just the fake news coming after me, that type of attitude. And it's so enraging. And I do think, some of this goes back to um, character of people within a political movement, organization, um, ideological group. It does matter because the more that you degrade the character of a movement or a party in this case, the more that very, very low character is incentivized. And I think someone like George Santos wouldn't have even thought that he could do what he's doing in a Republican party of the past. But um, now seeing Trump, I think a lot of people and others just think, all right, I'm going to completely throw principles, morality out the door um, and do what I, whatever I want to do to get into power. That's been a thing for a long time, obviously, but it's heightened with this Republican party. Now you see all these figures and they're all in the Republican party that are these like uh, almost caricatures of a dishonest fraudster and that's george santos for you and i think some of that is because of the current um downfall of the gop and it just having very little character and a lot of people within it with very very low character the head honcho being donald trump speaking of donald trump he delivered a speech in nevada um a little event that he held and it was wild as ever. I don't really want to go through all the different subjects that he talked about, as we sometimes will do, um, because the normal, deranged, detached from reality things. But instead, focusing on the fact that he seems to be getting increasingly confused about a lot of things. And uh, I find that funny. So <laughs> let me give you a few examples of that. And within this conversation, you'll see some of what he was talking about. But y'all know what he talks about all these speeches. Um, it's kind of the, the repeating of the same things. Uh, every time. So with that being said, here's this. He's on the subject of Hillary and how he calls Biden crooked now and something like that. Hillary. You know, we call her beautiful Hillary now, right? We changed her name because she's a beautiful woman. We call her beautiful Hillary. You know why? Because I'm using the word crooked. I don't like doing the same word for two people. We're using the word crooked for Joe Biden because Joe Biden is the most crooked president in the history of our country by a factor of hundreds. He's a crook. No evidence at this point in time that's correct. We're going to end uh, all of the things you see and ban We're going to end all the things you see. And critical race theory and transgender ideology from our schools, from our universe. We're banning it. We're banning it, what they do. It's interesting. CRT is not taught in the levels of schooling they say that it is okay it's a higher level course you would take um or thing you would study 
But separate from that, just pretend that CRT was being taught or gender ideology, whatever they think that means, is being taught in elementary school. Let's just pretend that everything they allege is being taught is, okay? It still violates their own principles of small government to say the president of the United States is going to get involved in individual uh, curricula in individual school districts and decide what is and isn't being taught. That's not small government. They used to say, leave it up to the states and even better, let localities figure things out. Um, and here he's saying, no, I will decide as president of the United States what the Austin, Texas specific school district within Austin, Texas's um, schools at this level, at this grade can be learning. That's pretty wacky and not small government. And also it just so happens the things they say are being taught are not. Um, so wrong, wrong, and a little bit more of wrong. <laughs> Next clip. We have a corrupt, incompetent leader in Biden. Everyone knows he's not. I wouldn't have said this three weeks ago. I wouldn't have said it. I was actually very kind to him. I was very kind to him. But now we can't be kind anymore because the gloves are off. The jar has been opened. He's taken millions of dollars from other countries like China. He's totally compromised. He's taken millions and millions of dollars from other countries. And in history, there's never been, never been a scandal like this. But the fake news doesn't want to report it. There's never been. So he's referring to the accusations from House Republicans against Joe Biden of him being bribed. And time and time again, we say, OK, if you believe that and if you're alleging it, can we see the evidence? And then they go, we lost it or the person who had it disappeared or, um, OK, maybe we don't necessarily have evidence of a crime, but here's some stuff that we can talk about. If you think that Biden was bribed, you would have to have evidence to prove that. And that's what we're still waiting on, um, as has been the case with the previous 10 accusations against Biden from uh, Republicans. Then he calls Ron DeSantis a son of a you know what. Uh, let's give it a shot. We did, I think, two or three rallies. I think three big, big rallies, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And they came out. I said, you know, you're going to win. And he ended up winning. And then about three years later, they said to him, will you run against the president? And he said, I have no comment on that. I said, he has no comment. That means he's running. I said, that son of a bitch is running. I got him elected. So I don't, I'm not a big fan of his, and he's highly overrated. He's highly overrated. Remember, he's the one that wanted to cut Social Security. He's the one that wanted to raise the... And then into that, and I've said it before, I love that the attack line from Trump on DeSantis will often center around... DeSantis not being supportive enough of Medicare and Social Security because that makes it a conversation within the GOP primary and maybe more Republican candidates will be scared away from their honest view most of the time, which is, oh, if we could, I would love to um, go after Medicare and Social Security. That's been their record time and time again um, in so many different situations, but because of how politically damaging that can be, often they avoid it, which is what we want. And if Trump keeps attacking someone on this, maybe the broader um, Republican field of candidates or even just Republican leaders um, in Washington will be more afraid of following in line with some of the views that DeSantis has been in favor of uh, and many Republicans have been in favor of. And then last clip we'll look at from this Nevada speech. He said, if you endorse me in the state of Florida, which we love, we all love Florida. 
And remember, Florida is easier than other places. You have the ocean and you have the sun. There's something about that that works. But uh, you have the sun, too, but you don't have the ocean, I can tell you. You definitely don't have the ocean. Maybe someday you'll have the ocean. You never know. Someday. Hopefully it's a long time away, right? Hopefully. But he said, if you endorse me, I win. I say, look, you know what? Isn't that funny? Do you get the joke? A guy standing on stage running to be the nominee within a party that is going to be the reason at least the United States doesn't uh, do what it should to avoid a future where the ocean is all the way up to Nevada. Um, and what he's talking about is sea levels rising. And he is a part of the party that is allowing for a disastrous climate change related situation being um, the reality for the world um, and because of the power influence and magnitude of the united states as a country we should lead on the front of making sure that we address the issue of climate change and biden has taken huge steps forward on that front um, and trump is running to be the nominee in a party and he himself stands for the very ideology that is attempting to do the opposite and giggle 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 maybe that'll cause mass devastation um but let's move on. Really, really wild. Last thing, he did an interview while he was in Nevada after or before this speech, and he got asked the question, you lost Nevada twice, how do you win Nevada? And Trump said, I think I won the last time. I think I won both times by a lot. This is a, uh, this is a state that is disgraceful. By the way, this is the Nevada Globe that is um, doing this interview. You know, we sued on the basis of they robbed the vote at a level and he goes on to say all the things we've heard him say in the past. And that is so uh, potentially damaging for the GOP as these election cycles continue, because if you can't even realize when you lost, separate from the threat to democracy, sep uh, democracy separate from um, the anti-democratic nature of not accepting free and fair elections, just for the Republican Party as an entity, Having candidates that don't accept when they lost is terrible for strategy because then you can't even map out how you would change the reality on that front. If you're saying, no, I won every single state, every single election, then how do you know where you need to invest more resources? How do you know um, how you should change your campaign message or change your policy positions? You don't. And that's what we're seeing from MAGA. Carrie Lake lost, but she said that she didn't. So if she runs a senatorial race, she'll do the same thing. She'll run the same type of campaign and Trump as well. And that separate from all of the damage that could do um, to the country at large could also bring down the GOP with it. Um, and hopefully for how damaging it is for everyone else, it at least does that to the Republican Party. Thank you all so much for watching and listening to today's show. I will see you tomorrow.